And it's Newman, and he doesn't have mail, and he gets killed by a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. Welcome, dead and lovely listeners, to a very special wild card installment of Dead and Lovely, your absolute favorite, typically horror movie review podcast, but today it's a little something different. Here with your hosts... Me, Uncle Ben Eller, and who's that man I got on that West Coast on the other end of this uh, this phone call here? It's the mad wanderer himself, Stephen Spratling. Oh, Hollywood Steve. How have you been doing yeah. this week, man? The, uh, pretty all right. Uh, the mad wanderer is my Wu-Tang uh, name. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Found that out, I think, back in the MySpace era, and uh, it stuck in my head. The mad wanderer. And I've never called myself that until just now, and then I realized, man, that sounds stupid. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm a, I got a, a little bit of a sinus infection. We had this, uh, what do you call it? Um, hell on Earth uh, in in uh, Los Angeles. Oh. It was a uh, hundred and two degrees. Holy shit. Uh, for about four days there, we had like high nineties up into the hundreds temperatures, and it was just hideous and uh, didn't get a whole lot of sleep for a few days and then I woke up one morning with a sinus infection so I might sound a little stuffed I don't know you know it's funny Steve because I've kind of got the exact opposite thing going on over here in the Tennessee this is oh shit yeah this is kind of right on the heels time wise of the uh, of the massive uh, Hurricane Harvey there yeah and uh, shout out to people in Houston. Yeah. Hope you're oh my okay. God, dude. It's unbelievable. The stuff those people are going yeah. through, man. But we're kind of yeah. getting sort of the tail end of the after effects of that. So actually here in Tennessee, it has felt like late October here lately. Um, yeah. There's been like zero humidity. It's been Ooh. maybe about like 60 or 65, which right now it's like the first week of September. It's usually about like fucking 95 or 100 degrees here right now. Um, so huh. this is very unusual for us over here on the East Coast. So actually, typically anytime the weather does like a, a really drastic 180 like this, um, it absolutely wreaks havoc on my bodily system. So actually Saturday, I woke up with like a just skull crushing headache and slept till about Ooh. four in the afternoon because my head was just exploding. It was terrible. Talking old man shit with Ben and Steve. <laughs> but other than that, it's been pretty good. And actually, the the sudden sort of chill in the air has really, man, it's really gotten me in kind of the, the Halloween spirit, even though, again, yeah. this is like first week of September as we record this. Uh, we get in the Halloween spirit real early, as we've talked about on yeah. previous shows. Uh-huh. We do, too. Actually, we... We have Halloween stuff up kind of all year because yeah. we have uh, we have Halloween dish rags and stuff that we always use. Yes, 
Yeah. We also have like a Halloween blanket that always stays on our couch. Uh, we're big fans. Shit, yeah, man. Well, you know, it's funny, too. You mentioned that, that big old hot streak you guys are having right now because I just recently watched a movie um, actually last night concerning a very, very, very warm day in 1989 in, uh-huh. uh, in New York City. Mm. Uh, it's a movie by old Spike Lee called Do the Right Thing. Have you seen that? I have, and it is very warm. I just watched it for the first time ever uh, last night. My wife and I sat down and checked it out. Man, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's raw. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. There's, um, I don't know, there's something about those old movies by directors who are doing, you know, only their first, like, first or second, like, major production movie. Like, when you watch Clerks or when you watch... Uh-huh. Uh, Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction or Do the right. right Thing where it's just like it's totally made by these young guys who are just fucking flooring it you know they're just yeah. taking gigantic risks doing stuff that doesn't necessarily even make complete sense but it's so wonderful to watch that kind of energy on screen and it's also really sad watching that movie which came out in you know 89 almost 30 years ago uh, to see how little things have changed since then in terms of yeah. race relations and so on. It's incredible how slow change has been. Yeah, not not much has. Uh, yeah, that's really sad. It is. Well, you know, I, I uh, you know, speaking of things that haven't changed, I watched a movie called Monster Squad. Oh, j- shit. And it's just like today where we got Draculas and stuff walking around. <laughs> So I, I've been meaning to watch that movie forever, and like I keep checking yeah. on, you know, Amazon, Hulu, and all this stuff to see whenever it's it's streaming. Uh-huh. And every time I check, it's not streaming anywhere. But actually, I was looking through our DVD closet the other day, and uh-huh. we fucking own a copy of it, and I've just never watched yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you gotta watch it. I mean, it's it's fucking awesome. I mean. I actually watched it in conjunction with this movie because uh, I was trying to get into the childlike mindset. Okay. And so I was thinking of movies that I really liked as a, a kid, and Monster Squad was one I really liked. And then rewatching it, I was like, this is a fucking great movie. Like, it wasn't one of those where I was like, oh, that's embarrassing. It was like, no, this is perfect. It's uh, co written by Shane Black, who's done no shit, tons of great really? movies. Yeah. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, etc. Fucking like, Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon, yeah. I mean, it was the movie he did after Lethal Weapon. So, oh like, my god, I didn't realize and that. And it, it's it's a horror movie, and it has Dracula, the Wolfman, like the creature from the Black Lagoon, Frankenstein, Tom Noonan playing Frankenstein. It's fucking great. That's awesome, man. I definitely have to watch that now. Yeah, absolutely. You'll like the the the. Uh, it's like unironically fun. Like it, it does. There's no like. There's no fucking around. Like it, it's it's uh, corny at times, and it's really like you know it's uh, it's about kids, but it's like more bad news bears kids than Goonies kids. Oh. Like like um, so it's it's got that like edge to it, but it's also like you know it's it's sort of a, a campy horror movie, but it's it's also got. Uh, a vampire throwing dynamite so that's awesome <laughs> okay so i'm on board for that 
Yeah, and it has the best cute little girl line of all cute little girl lines ever, which is, please don't go Frankenstein. Oh. Yeah, it's adorable. That's sweet. I, I definitely got to watch that, man. I um, I think the only other really killer stuff I've been watching this week is the other night uh -huh. I was sitting down to practice a a set for a cover band that I'm playing with here soon. It's about like, oh, a, yeah? yeah, and it's like a three hour set. It's a lot of fun, but it's just a ton of music. But hey, anything that is three hours, you got to be careful. You might end up stranded on an island. So three-hour tour. Yeah. You got a good so. point there. So a lot of times whenever I'm practicing like really long sets like this, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just put on a movie with you know subtitles that i've seen before and i'll put on headphones while i practice the set that way yeah. i can just you know watch and read the movie as i go because that's actually kind of a thing of mine it's like i like to practice sets for bands that i'm playing with while i'm being distracted because oh okay i know that's how it'll be at the gig you know what i mean uh-huh right so while i was doing that i watched um i watched friday the 13th Part three and part four the other night, which uh, was just a fucking blast. Yeah, absolutely. Those are absolutely so much fun. Three, uh, I've said, is is my second favorite, but I, I don't know. Is it? I really? think last week. I think last week though, I said that two. Now nah, two is my second favorite. Two Gosh, is really good. There's two so good one so good three is i love the dream warriors aspect i love like i love the effects so fun anyway uh so uh how did you feel about him i had myself a great time watching jason just fucking hack them kids down they were doing all kinds of silly shit just all kinds of fucking banging out there in the woods and and, and skinny dipping and just doing all kinds of awful stuff and then that old Jason, he came in hot and just fucking annihilated him. It was a lot of fun, man. Those are just great fucking flicks. Just realized Six Steven totally uh, mixed up Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street there. Oh, man. Sickly Steve. Sickly Steve. And right now, currently, uh, you know, uh, sipping on a delicious drink, the... The stores are running low here in the Spratling household, and I'm currently drinking um, pineapple coconut rum with fresca. <laughs> Peach fresca. Oh, God. What? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to attract like some college freshmen there if you're not careful. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I see them at the door right now, but Bill Gates Jr. is holding them back. You know how he feels about fun. Is it kind of like that scene in Salem's Lot where the kid's at the window? <laughs> yes. It's exactly like that scene. Uh, oh, I watched Fright Night last night, too. The original? And, yes. Awesome. So good. Yeah, so fun, good man. still. So good. Really love that movie. You know, like, that's the thing is, like, movies like Fright Night and movies like the Friday 13th flicks I was just talking about, they're... Yeah. They're horror movies, and they're disgusting and brutal and stuff at times, but they're still really fun. They, yes. There is such a lack of that in horror right now, because it's like stuff is either mm. just, you know, trying way too hard to be super dark and brutal, or it's just like, yeah. you know, it can't be to the point of not even, you know, almost being like a parody or a pastiche of the horror genre. 
Um, yeah. There's, I don't know. That's just such a fine line to tread. But those old movies just do it so fucking well, and they make me so happy to watch. Yeah, they're really fun. I yeah, Fright Night is so good. Um, and my wife hasn't seen it, so oh. later we're we're gonna watch it. She, I told her I watched it, and she looked it up, and she was like, "Oh, I would like that." So go check it out. Awesome. You know, currently I'm sipping on a delicious Polar Springs cranberry lime natural seltzer water which is just wonderful delish earlier today i was uh i was sipping on some as the russians say little water aka yeah vodka yeah you know what's interesting about the word vodka ben? tell me um well vada or uh is the word for water okay. obviously vada vodka the ka makes it diminutive now that does mean like little water, but it also it adds an element of like closeness and uh, like collegiality or friendship. So it's like li- little friend water or little water friend. <laughs> it's it's a beloved beloved thing in in Russia for sure. It's I mean you know honestly, water. yeah honestly, uh, just walking around parks in Russia. Yeah, there were tons of vodka bottles everywhere, but a lot of beer. They drink a whole lot of beer over there out of uh, plastic two-liter bottles. Holy shit, really? Yeah. Damn, man. So, I don't know. Like, uh, for, for listeners that don't know, um, old sickly Steve here, whenever he was <laughs> a more man, he served a mission over in Russia for how long? Uh, two years. Two. God damn, two years. So, while you were over there and you were around all this... Uh, all this vodka and all this beer, is there any kind of, you know, stigma or taboo about alcohol like there is in the States over there? Or is it just like common as day? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're just like shit face drunk in the middle of the day, yeah, yeah, everybody's like, what are you doing? Don't do that. But there's no stigma to, you know, if it's, if it's the weekend or whatever, maybe even a weekday. Uh, there's no shame to sitting with your friends and having a beer on a summer day for sure. Like people just, uh, be hanging out outside cause it's hot in the summer in Russia. Like yeah. really hot. Yeah. It can get real hot there. But nobody's really uptight about it. No, no. I mean, well, there are obviously, it, strangely enough, there are still people who are strongly tied to the Russian Orthodox church mm. and really believe in those tenets, but there's. They're few and far between. Interesting, man. What a what an interesting culture that spawned famous bear wrestler Zangief. Uh-huh. A very common name in Russia, Zangief. <laughs> Everyone you meet, it's like, oh, hello, I'm Zangief. <laughs> they all speak... Russian is just English with a Russian accent. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh-huh. I am Zangief, comrade, motherland. You know, <laughs> earlier tonight, though, I'll tell you what else I was sipping on before the, the Polar Springs and before the vodka. I was right. sipping on some mighty fine homemade pho that my wife I make. You know what? I saw pictures of that on the Instagram, and it looked goddamn delicious. It tasted goddamn delicious, man. This is... Uh, one time one time a couple of years ago, we have some, we have some good friends whose families... Um, owned a Vietnamese Thai restaurant and they came over to the house and showed us how they make pho 
Oh, that's awesome. It was the best day fucking ever. We just spent literally all day in the kitchen with our friends drinking and making pho and like, uh, you know, spring rolls and stuff like this. It's so good. Um, but then like a year or so ago, my, my wife, she make her own pho <laughs> and it was really good. But then today, she make her own pho again and it turned out just ridiculous, dude. Like I keep catching, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if it's like this where you're at, but in our house, like whenever we cook something, especially if it's something really strong smelling like, uh, like a curry or something uh-huh. like that, you can walk through the house and it's like walking through a time machine of smell where, you know, yeah. you're in the kitchen, you smell how the dish currently smells. Then you walk into the uh-huh. living room and you're like, oh, I smell where, you know, you added the onion into the dish or whatever. Right. And then like you go to the back of the house and you're like, oh, I can just smell heated up oil or whatever. It's, you can really kind of smell yeah. a timeline. I keep kind of walking through a house and just getting all these various stages of pho development. God damn, it was so good. I bet you guys got some good pho where you're at over in Los yes. Angeles, don't you? Yeah, there are a ton of great, great uh, pho places, ramen places, um, Koreatown, of course, ton of Korean barbecue places. It, mm. It's great. You can get so much awesome food here. Uh, you know, one thing is, though, interesting. People say uh, LA is a, a shit city for pizza. And I think that... A lot of people probably think you can't get any good pizza in mm. LA, which is simply untrue. I've had it's a good slice that, out there, yeah. Yeah, it's just that it's not it's not New York, so you can't every other block go to this great pizzeria that's been around for a hundred years. Sure, that makes just these perfect slices every time. But there are some really great great places, and um, my wife and I went to a place called Prime Pizza mm. on Fairfax. You can get two slices and a drink for $6. It's really good pizza. Mm. It's like uh, made in partnership with, uh, I think it's called Best Pizza in Brooklyn. It's the same dough recipe, the same sauce, etc. It's all the same stuff you can get in Brooklyn. And it, it tastes just like a slice of New York pizza. Now, I haven't been to New York in a while. Yeah. Maybe maybe my taste buds are fooling me, but it to me, it tastes exactly like it. Really good. Well, I'll tell you what's fucking madness, dude. And, um, and and actually, we recently discussed old Steve and his fam are coming back to Tennessee here before too long for a little visit. But yep, one thing that will blow your mind is that actually in our um, our old stomping grounds in Morristown, Tennessee, there is a Vietnamese pho restaurant called Vietnamese Gourmet Pho. And it's, I've heard about that. Dude, it's pretty fucking good. I've heard that. I've heard it's pretty damn good. And you know what? It's uh, it's one of those things. Uh, you don't have to have a, a tight knit community of a, a whole bunch of uh, Vietnamese people in one area. All you have to have is one good Vietnamese cook. Yeah. So, like, uh, just because there aren't a lot of Vietnamese people in Morristown doesn't mean you can't get good pho. It's it's pretty damn good, man. I, I don't think it's as good as like. Have you been to Beta Saigon in Knoxville? No, I have not. It's fucking awesome and it's definitely not as good as like the stuff that fucking kate's making in my house but it's pretty goddamn <laughs> good and it's cool too because it's kind of near the shop that i teach at yeah. the guitar vault so sometimes uh-huh. after i'm done teaching i'll just go swing by get some pho and then go home it's pretty great would you say it's fucking delicious i would say it's fucking great awesome it's good stuff good stuff well i'll tell you what else is great stuff steve is our wild card 
movie choice that we're going to be talking about today. Now, typically, listeners, this is a horror movie review podcast, but me and my man Steve here, we love all movies. All are That's welcome. True. All are welcome. You're all my children now. <laughs> So every now and then we like to talk about something a little bit different, but then, you know, at the same time still ties into the scary movie genre at least a little bit. Like I don't see us Mm -hmm. reviewing something like a um, You've Got Mail or Sleepless in Seattle, Tom Hanks, Mm Meg Ryan movie anytime too terribly soon. So usually our wildcard choices are still somewhat distantly related to the horror genre. And today we are talking about Michael Crichton's um film adaptation Jurassic Park which came out in what year was that Steve 95 or something 19 and 93 19 and 90 fucking 3 oh my god so i was all of 9 years old whenever i saw this movie now steven i assume that this was not the first time you saw this movie no it wasn't the first time but um um I I have admitted already, I think, that this was not a movie that I much liked as a young man. It's so strange. It's so strange to me, man. I know. I was right in that sweet spot to really just love it, and it um, it didn't hit me. Wow. I think, man, I, I got, I've got a ton to say about it. I think now I get it. I look at it and I'm like, oh, I get that. Yeah, sure. that's a movie. Obviously, people like it. Like, certainly. But I I have some issues with it still. It is... It's one of these films that, for me, it could have been perfect. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's just... There's so many little things that like end up creating a big problem for me like liking it um but but certainly this movie is well directed the uh special effects are great especially i really like the animatronic special effects oh yeah and um the acting is superb i'm so excited to hear the things that you don't like about this movie steve because this is one of those ones that is is one of those like standout moments of my fucking childhood. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I remember whenever this came out in theaters, I was absolutely elated. Um, I'll elaborate th- on this in a second, but I've always been a gigantic um, fan of dinosaurs my entire life. So this is one of those movies that I remember that even though we were broke as a joke when I was a kid, we still managed to go and see this two or three times in the theaters because it was just wow. so unbelievably good and i think my mom knew like how much it it meant to me to see this kind of thing because basically like when i was a kid i fucking loved dinosaurs i thought that they were just the coolest fucking things in the world and did you wait did you ever go see the dinosaur exhibit at the knoxville zoo i don't think that i ever did was it the coolest Uh, oh they they had animatronic dinosaurs oh shit yeah, and um, I'm th- I'm just realizing now that I went there on like in my birthday when I was very young, and I was like so enraptured by it that I think that might have affected my viewing of Jurassic Park because it was like I've seen them up close. 
they don't act like that. Like in my little kid mind, it was like, no, they're not like that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a cool story, Steve. Dinosaurs taught me how to read. Oh, thank goodness. Finally, <laughs> someone admits that dinosaurs are good and they should still be around Noah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, he really fucking screwed the pooch on that one, didn't he? Jeez. There should have been room in that boat. Yeah. So here's the deal. So um, when I was a kinder kid, mm-hmm. um, even around the <laughs> A age, child child. <laughs> a child child, as you might say. Even, uh-huh. even when I was like two and three years old, I loved dinosaurs and I had a bunch of like little, you know, toy, like rubber molded dinosaurs and stuff like that. And um, my family, as basically every, every you know, uh, intelligently minded family did in the 80s, we had a set of Encyclopedia Britannicas. Awesome. Yes, we also had those. Actually, I think I we, think ours were from the 70s, but they were awesome. I think that ours are actually World Book, which is kind of like uh-huh. Britannica, but cheaper, I think. Yeah, they were like brown. It's kind of like an ox blood, kind of red brown. Yeah. Yeah, 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 we had, that's exactly what we had. Boom, dude. So (laughs) I would sit there, and even though I was like two or three years old and couldn't read at that point, those those books, for for you guys who don't know, they had tons and tons of pictures and diagrams and stuff like that in them. So cool. They were awesome. Like, I really do remember just spending hours and hours looking through those things. Um, So when I was a kid, I knew the names of like, stegosaurus and triceratops and stuff like that right because i'd seen uh-huh. them in i don't know the land before time and fucking everything else uh i loved watching anything about like those those dino digs and stuff like that we had a couple that we had like taped onto vhs that i watched a million mm-hmm. times over and so i would go through these uh world books and i'd find a picture of you know a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex or whatever, right? Okay. And then I would look at the picture and I'd look at the letters underneath the picture and I would just assume, okay, these are the characters that spell out Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, okay. Because I was like three or something like that. So uh-huh. I would uh, apparently, you know, I would grab one of these volumes and go up to my mom and be like, does this say Triceratops? <laughs> because I knew what the creature looked like, and I knew that those those figures underneath the picture must be the name of the creature. So uh, I actually learned how to read that way. Now, your mom didn't say to you, no, that says Jesus. <laughs> that's fake news, dear. That's fake news. Oh, that's really cool. Good old Jurassic Park, which is what we're going to be talking about today, was based on the novel written by Michael Crichton. And for those of you guys who don't know, Michael Crichton has had an absolute shit ton of his works adapted into TV and movie format. So before we begin our review of the movie, I think it'd be a great idea if me and my main man Sicko Steve here did ourselves a little uh, a little countdown of our top five adapted Michael Crichton works in no particular order. I'll tell you what, Steve, I'm going to kick this thing off for us here. I'll also say... There are a lot of great Michael Crichton things that I have never watched. Um, I yeah. know that Andromeda Strain is one of those like super important ones that I hear people talk about all the time. I've never seen it. Have you ever seen it, Steve? I have not. Okay, so at least it's not just me. So there's a lot of Crichton stuff we have not watched. So if we leave off your favorite, go fuck yourself. Yeah. 
write hard. Like, just grab the nearest Michael Crichton novel and just roll it up and just fuck yourself with it. <laughs> so my first one here, and I might, I might regret saying this because it has been a really goddamn yeah, long time. It's been one week since uh-huh. I watched this movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm talking about a little flick called Sphere that has a Sam Jackson and a whole bunch of other people in it. Um, right. I remember watching this movie a really, 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 really long time ago and uh, enjoying it. It's a very weird kind of sci-fi flick with a whole bunch of people stuck down in a, if I recall, a submarine or an underwater base of some kind. Uh-huh. And there's this uh, huge alien sphere thing down there that's messing with their memories and perceptions of things. Uh, I Again, it's probably been at least 10 years, probably longer, probably more like 15 years since I watched it. Um, so I might go back and watch it and be like, wow, this is a fucking, f- you know, hot dumpster of a movie. But <laughs> I do recall liking it. Did you ever see a sphere? I I think I did, but it, it didn't stick with me. Sick. I, yeah <laughs> i i really can't remember sphere at all but i like sharon stone's in it i Is think so right? yeah staring shown okay yeah i can't i just can't remember it very well um you know what ben i think that one of the best things that michael Crichton did was create the show er er or er as it sometimes now goes. this this will I don't know. Maybe say a good bit about how I feel about Michael Crichton. Tell me. Uh, I don't really care much for ER. I liked the first few seasons, I remember. But it it's a show that if I watch now, it's like, oh, why did I ever like this? It never really... Uh, I don't know. The storytelling is, is never really good enough now in mm-hmm. my head. But back then, I, I really enjoyed it. I do remember watching that as a kinder child in the 90s. I think mainly because my mom thought George Clooney was a hunk, and she was right. Yeah, no, absolutely. He is a hunk. And he was uh, one of the best parts of that show, and he left pretty early. So, um, I don't know. I will talk more about Michael Crichton in a little bit, but I don't know that I like a whole lot he's done. I remember watching ER a lot as a kid, um, not necessarily for the storylines and stuff like that, because I don't think I really got into the into the drama and the you know who's shaking up with who and stuff like that right. of the show. Um, which I recall later on, like in the show, it really just became like a nighttime soap opera of like, oh, this person banged this person. Oh no. Oh no. But I remember banging. <laughs> not the banging. But I remember watching the show pretty much for the same reasons that I watched Rescue 911, which is to say, for the gore. Yeah, that may have been the thing that I was mostly interested in. Those, like, real exciting moments and the gore. Yeah, because they would, like, that was the first time I think I ever remember seeing, you know, fucking blood and guts and stuff on network TV was er i remember watching that and being like wow i can't believe they're showing this you know and this is the same channels i watch like fucking family matters or whatever on and they're showing this guy getting fucking his throat cut open or whatever to save his life or like a pin shit you know shoved in his neck to make a makeshift tracheotomy for some reason stuff like that sticks out to me and i remember watching it just so i could see gore same as rescue 911 you remember that shit <laughs> yes of course now ben point of fact Let's just 
get this right so no one corrects us online. ER was on NBC. Yes. Family Matters was on ABC. Oh, Come on. Fuck dude. me. All right. Get fine. it right. <laughs> um. Anyway, also Juliana Margulies was uh, very pretty. Who's she in the show? Oh, I don't remember her name. She uh is uh, she has the curly hair and the, the dark eyes oh, and the yeah, prettiness yeah, yeah, on yeah, her yeah. face. Yeah. Right on, man. Yeah, I I do yeah. remember watching that and enjoying the earlier seasons quite a lot, but not as much as I enjoyed this next Michael Crichton film adaptation. I think I know where you're going. It's a little talky called Motherfucking Twister. Woo! Humans being and its soundtrack. <laughs> Twister is cool, yeah. You remember how dope that soundtrack was? Yeah, it's awesome, yeah. You know, I haven't seen Twister in a long time. I, um... I should probably check that out again, because I bet watching it again, it might not be as awesome, but I remember enjoying it. Helen Hunt's good. You should definitely listen to that fucking soundtrack again and hear the Goo Goo Dolls singing fucking No Way Down at you and stuff. <laughs> awesome. Let's hear the Goo Goo Dolls. I don't you know think what? I'll make it on my own. Yeah. That band basically became like the 90s soundtrack band. Yeah. Um, City of Angels, dog. Yeah, there were just some tons of 90s soundtracks. <laughs> I do enjoy that movie. Although, you know, now that we're talking about it, I think it's probably been about 10 years since I watched it, too. I have a feeling it's one of those that I'll probably go back and feel that, like, that weird, um, that thing where you sympathetically feel embarrassed for someone who's humiliating right. themselves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I might go back and feel that. But I recall at the time really just digging that movie and thinking it was a fun watch. It's by no means great or anything, and it's very silly, but uh, it's, got, it's a fun watch. It's got Bill Paxton. Anything with Bill Paxton is generally pretty fun to watch. Well, and it's got old Philip Seymour Hoffman in it, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. It's kind of got a lot of people in it. Uh-huh. Might be, it might be great still. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch it right after we finish this. <laughs> Maybe I do, too. Um. Now, Ben... The thing that I'm going to name next is kind of a cheat. It's the television series Westworld. All right. Okay. So I have never seen the TV show nor the movie of Westworld. I might have named the movie and then the TV show had I seen the movie because I hear the movie's pretty good. But the television show is fucking awesome. That's what I hear. And if anybody tells you different, you kick them right in the taint. Damn. Now, it's on a... Is it an HBO? It's on HBO. It is um, so well acted. Uh, very beautiful. Um, just every episode. Just great shots. Really well, like, interesting lighting. Uh, I, I really love the story, though. Like, it's... People got, I guess, a little irritated because it's one of those that slowly reveals itself, like, over time, and people obviously don't like waiting, especially when they think they know exactly where it's going. Mm -hmm. And and uh, some people were right. They were right about where it was going. But, you know, you don't have to make a show where you're constantly rewriting everything so that people can't guess what's going to happen. So, yeah, really. I think, yeah, I think that the the show like reveals itself slowly and well and everything comes together like really beautifully in the end and the music is awesome like 
as soon as you start watching the opening credits, you'll get into the show. Because the music just, like, the opening credit sequence and the music are just perfect. I keep hearing over and over from people how sick it is, and I know the, I know the premise of it and stuff, and it sounds really, 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 really rad. And we've got HBO for, I think, another couple of weeks um, since we had it, you know, of course, to watch Game of Thrones like everybody else. Right, now, obviously. Now we're just going to dump it, but I think we've got a couple of weeks before our subscription is up, so that's on my list of things to watch. That, that, has, a, that has an Anthony Hopkins, doesn't it? It does. It's Jeffrey Wright, Anthony Hopkins. Rachel Evan Wood is oh, the best her. performance in it. She's so great. Damn, she's um, awesome. Yeah, Shannon Woodward is really good in it. It's It's got a lot of people in it. And, um, uh, it yeah, it's just so well done that, especially I think, because I watched it immediately, like uh-huh. every episode. I couldn't wait after I, I watched the first episode. It was just like, no, I have to watch them each week. I think if I could have sat down and watched them all in a row, it would have been even better. But, you know, I don't know. There, there's something to be said for that, like, waiting a week and speculating sort of thing that really makes a show, like, fun. But I think that the show works really well, like, just as a uh, a sit and, and watch in a row. Like, it, it's so good. I watched an Anthony Hopkins the other night in good old Sons of the Lambs. I haven't watched that for probably oh. five or six years. God damn. God diggity damn what a movie that is. I said god damn. It's, yeah. it's fucking awesome, man. I, that's one we'll definitely do on the show at some point because that's one of those flicks, man, that like every time you watch it, it is just as good as the first time. Was she a great big fat person? Are you about a size 14? <laughs> yeah, I think you, you texted me and said you're watching Silence of the Lambs, and I said that, that that movie forever scarred the way that I I hear uh, Tom Petty's American Girl. Oh, yeah. Cause I, yeah, because it's just like a, it's a like fun sort of romp, but it is not now. I forever associate it with getting kidnapped and held in a basement now what did it do for you in terms of uh goodbye horses by q lazarus uh, you know what introduced me to it so <laughs> i had no i had no nothing to like compare it to so i just thought that that's what that song is it's put your dick between your legs and dance around music yeah <laughs> and it still is some things don't change yeah yeah i remember actually though like watching that as a kid and being like oh and going and trying it in the bathroom it didn't work like, well yeah <laughs> like yep yeah. i was like man yep my dick's gone like i don't know yeah when you're like a, you're like at that age before you uh really know what masturbation is yeah. your dick is just like a weird thing there and you do weird shit with yeah it. you're like what am i gonna do with this thing yeah, why does it just hang there? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> so you try the tricks. I I will have to some you know, I'll just go ahead and tell it. Um <laughs> I'm gonna tell you the story of my first erection, Ben. Sick, hit me. <laughs> I was, I believe, not even kidding, I think I was maybe eight. Like it, it obviously wasn't my first erection because babies get erections. Sure, sure. But it was the it was the first time that I had gotten an erection and like recognized it, and I didn't know what it was, and so I thought 
I had to pee like really bad. I was yeah. like, oh, I must have to pee so bad that it's filling up my dick. Yeah. Like, it's in there. Cause, yeah, like, what else? You don't know how that shit works. You're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. So I, I went to the bathroom and I'm trying to pee, but like, you know, when you, you have an erection, you're trying to pee, like, the angle is weird. So, like, I'm trying to figure out the angle <laughs> and, like, sort of standing there all weird and, like, I couldn't pee, and so I was like, maybe if I sit down. Yeah. And so I sat down to try to pee, and it was still just <laughs> just raging, like just a little kid rager. And The geometry was, was not working in your favor. No, and it still wasn't when I sat down, because you know that <laughs> thing where you gotta like still push it down. Yeah. So anyway, I eventually was like, oh, okay, I guess my dick's just gonna fall off. And I was really worried. Yeah. And I like stood up you know, to get off the toilet. And just as I stood up, um, my, <laughs> my uncle opened the door and he, as soon as he opened the door, he like <laughs> saw me and then looked down and then he was like, Whoa, sorry, pal. And closed the door. <laughs> and th this is seriously what happened in my head. I thought, Whatever this is, it just scared the shit out of my uncle. Yeah. <laughs> and then later, I think um, it was like that day or that night, we were watching the Dolly Parton Christmas special. And um, Dolly came out wearing reindeer horns. And my uncle went, Dolly is horny. Right, Steven? <laughs> And I was like, haha. I was like, haha. I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> and it wasn't until later I was like, oh, right. Okay. Now I get it. That's a dude. That totally reminds me of, uh, uh, well, my, my good buddy Mitch, who I don't know if you know, but Mitch comes from a, a whole family of super, super, like, very neat freak OCD people, right? Like, holy shit, really? It, dude, I it, didn't know that. Oh my god, dude. Anytime you go over to, to Mitch's parents' house, it's like you're like, are you guys selling your house? Because it looks like your house is on the market, like <laughs> ready to show at any time. So Mitch's mom used to babysit and stuff when Mitch was a kid, right? So Mitch was probably okay. like 10 or 11 and her mom was babysitting this you know, fucking, I don't know, 6 or 7 year old kid. And uh, Mitch said that he was at the house and he remembers this happening, but I guess that's when this kid just decided to have his first boner is when he was uh, being babysat over there. And it happened because he was he was in the bathroom and Mitch just said that, you know, him and his mom just heard this kid like, ah, ah, just like screaming and stuff. And they opened the door. He's the, becoming a man. Yeah. Well, he thought he was becoming a fucking statue or something. So they like opened the door to the bathroom where the kid was, where he was screaming. They opened the door and he's like, got, he's got, got a boner and he's just like pissing everywhere. Just like a fucking fire hose <laughs> all over the bathroom with these super OCD people. And he's like, ah, it's like I'm turning to stone. Ah, what's happening? Just freaking amazing. out. Amazing. He thought that I guess like Medusa had fucking looked at his dick and was turning it to stone or something. <laughs> hey, it's it's uh it's not too subtle the, that uh, Greek myth. It's such a great mysterious thing that happens to us. Yeah, a lady looks at you and you turn to stone. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't even what happened when I was eight. I I was just outside playing, running around yeah. like. 
It's the it's, erections are the weirdest thing for oh, anybody yeah. out there who uh, hasn't experienced an erection. Um, I recommend it. it. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Are, is an erection fun or is it just leads to fun? <laughs> you know, it's like it's like if somebody was like, here, here's a raw potato. You'd be like, uh, OK, like I could maybe make this into something. But right for now, now, not so much for now. For now, it's useless to me. <laughs> That's what my uh, my good buddy John used to call the old no reason pleaser, where you just get one for no reason. <laughs> oh yeah, you go yeah. over that, that particularly strong hill in the car. <laughs> yes, yeah, or yeah, or even back in the day on the swings. Oh yeah, yeah. Just suddenly, you're like, oh, I can't jump off right now. I might break my dick. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I think I definitely got a boner of absolute revelatory pleasure whenever I witnessed Michael Crichton's absolute greatest adaptation to film, which is otherwise known as Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. <laughs> because I'm telling Dude. you, man, like this movie came out and I was at the height of my of my dinosaur fever uh, uh -huh. absolutely loved it so whenever this movie came out and we saw it like well i guess it's kind of it's kind of like what i was talking about a couple weeks ago and i was like you know as a kid i never would have guessed that all my favorite marvel comics would turn into super successful movies um, right dinosaurs i thought were the coolest thing so i it absolutely blew my mind to see them on the big screen represented so absolutely beautifully in such a way that still holds up to this day in a lot of ways. Like I was watching it the other night mm -hmm. and there are a few scenes that do still, I don't know. There, there, there are a few scenes that are starting to show their age a little right. bit, you know, where you go, yeah, Oh, okay. Are. That's definitely fake. Like even especially like actually the very first time that you see a dinosaur where they come around that corner yes. and they see the brontosaurus, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That there's video games that actually look better than that. But, in general, dude, it, it blows my mind that there are movies that are coming out fucking today that have mm -hmm. CGI that is not as good as Jurassic Park, which came out in 1993. Yeah. Well, this isn't my story, but I, I think it's related. Um, Lauren Lapkus, who has a, a small role in Jurassic World, she told the story on the Doughboys podcast, which okay. is one of my favorite podcasts. I remember you talking about that. that. Yeah, it's a great one. Um, she told the story that when she saw Jurassic Park when she was little, she just thought in her head, like, oh, there's a there's a place on Earth where dinosaurs still exist, and they went and filmed there. Wow. Yeah, so, like, and that's, like, that's a thing that I've heard from other people that, like, you know, it looked so real yeah. as a child. Oh, absolutely. And it still does look good. And a lot of that is because a lot of it is, you know, more practical. Still, uh, they use computer computers with the puppets and things like that. But, like, it, the things that look less real are the things that are completely CG. Right. Well, they kind of did this in the same style as, like, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, where they used CGI yeah. only when it was not practical yeah. to do it entirely. And the thing about this is, too, man, that is that's so smart the way that they did it, is because going into this, in 1993, when they had very limited, you know, CGI resources, 
they still knew how to best mask their use of completely computer-generated um, creatures and stuff. So most of the scenes in the movie, other than the aforementioned brontosaurus scene, most of the scenes in the movie, whenever you see a fully CGI dinosaur, it is in the presence of rain and wetness. Uh-huh. Um, right. Like the T-Rex chase scene, for example, it's it's raining very heavily there because CGI, especially early CGI, tends to look wet. It looks unusually yes. shiny. So, it really does. So whenever you show those things in the context of it being rainy and wet, it makes sense. Or they're in, you know, a lot of fast motion and the camera's moving and so on. It really does help to disguise the CGI element, whereas so many... Dude, especially so many fucking horror movies these days. Just uh-huh. full on, you know, full Monty show you the monster or whatever, the creature in full, in daylight, in, you know, natural light or whatever. And it just, it looks like shit. Whereas the makers of this were so clever in the way that they used the CG. Um, yeah. Although there's really quite a lot less CG in this than you think there would be, because as you mentioned, there is a shit ton of animatronics and puppet work and right. stuff. Yeah, Stan Winston from uh, from Pumpkinhead fame. Oh, the pu- Pumpkinhead, Gold Star Pumpkinhead yeah. episode. It's episode, I think, two, isn't it? Yeah. Also listen to our audition episode to hear more about dinosexuals. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, the, the animatronics are, are good. Like, they still look good. I still enjoyed seeing that stuff a lot. And the CG is... I mean, you can tell when it's there, but when you think, like, well, this is 1993, it's like, well, yeah, that looks way better than I would have expected. It's unreal, man. It's unreal to think that they were doing those kinds of things with that level of, of technology. I mean, dude, you got to think, like, back then, that's when, you know... I don't know, a one megabyte hard drive was like yeah. a closet. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I remember 93, my uh, cousins got a computer and they got, maybe it was 93, I think Mist had come oh, out. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember playing Mist and just being like, what? This is insane. Uh, and then, you know, of course, you see stuff now and mist is like oh okay well that that was terrible so this when you think about it in that term like this really does hold up Mm -hmm. in a great way like because the computer generated imagery that had come before had all been a sort of the gimmick of Mm -hmm. the movie like it was just like oh you'll get to see this interesting like trippy sort of thing or something like that but for this like for the cgi they wanted to just i guess bolster the animatronics and really bring to life dinosaurs to create this world Mm -hmm. and i think you know the way they use it and the way it ends up looking is it, it holds up I think so too, man. And and really, there is so much animatronic stuff in the movie that I don't I don't know, man. It just kills me to see how easy it is and the the cheap way out that we use all the time, just to use CGI in flicks all the time. When dude, a really well made puppet or a really well made robot just looks a robot. a robot. It just looks a million times better because it's real. It's a real physical object that's being lit by real light. And there's so many scenes in this that 
I still have a hard time telling how they did or like what was real and what wasn't. Um, I don't know. It's it's really incredible. You and your reality-centric vision. Yeah. Oh, I want to live in reality. Jeez, Ben. But you know, there's... The Earth's flat. <laughs> Get with it. Yeah, I was trying to figure out a way to bring up the Earth being flat. <laughs> I think we gotta we gotta mention it every episode, yeah, right? I think we're, we're it's kind of becoming like a regular theme. Right. Yeah. Because just in case you're just tuning in and you don't know this, some people believe the Earth's flat. It's true. It's crazy. They do. They do that. Uh, so yeah, the the effects in this movie are absolutely groundbreaking, and I remember that's one of the things that definitely blew my mind as a kid is seeing these kind of dinosaurs on screen represented in such a completely beautiful and and believable way. Now, Steve, what do you think about the the characters in this movie and their development and so on? Um, I think that it's a real problem. Okay. This this movie has some real problems. And first and foremost, it is who is the protagonist of this movie and what is their story? I would assume it's it's fucking um Grant, I guess. So, if Grant is the protagonist of this story, then what we're presented with is that his problem is that his girlfriend wants him to have kids and he doesn't want to have kids. Yeah. His girlfriend thinks that he's bad with kids, but he's not. He is fine with kids. Mm -hmm. He never grows in any way in relation to kids. At the end, he is hugging two kids and she looks at him like I've convinced him to want to have kids. Mm -hmm. But he, well, he hasn't said I want to have kids. He's just fine with kids. Okay. From the beginning, from the moment she says he's not good with kids, he was being good with a kid. A kid was being an asshole, and he talked to him like an adult and let the kid understand, like, I'm an expert in this, and it is interesting. Yo, I think you're talking about how he fucking came in hot and taught some shit to the dream child. Yeah, that weird-looking kid, yeah. <laughs> Those haunting, haunting uh. fucking Alaskan husky eyes. Yeah. I mean, from the beginning, we're given the idea that he, um, one, isn't good with kids, and two, that he's not good with computers. The yeah, computers yeah. thing. He doesn't like new technology. He likes old school stuff. Because, yeah. like, at the first of the movie, when they're, they're doing the little digging thing using the computer generated imagery based on the seismographs and stuff, he's like, oh, you know, soon you won't even need shovels. You won't even need diggers or whatever. Yeah. Like,. So, like, the, the idea is that he's he's supposed to be won over by these kids. He's not won over by them. He's just fine with kids. He just obviously doesn't want to have kids. Well, the other main character is Laura Dern. What is, what is her art? Because I'd say she's probably equally important. She has, essentially, none whatsoever. <laughs> um, and... and <laughs> Here's the thing that I would say about her, Dr. Sadler, is that she, who thinks that he's bad, I guess not good with kids or whatever, mm -hmm. she sees the kids as a tool she can use to manipulate him into wanting kids. Okay, so she, she's, she's not good kids. with kids. Yeah, she's not good with kids. All right, all right, I see you. Um, 
so anyway, like her story is I want kids, 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 I want kids. Oh, also, I'm a badass, but I want kids. <laughs> like, there's just like a brief moment of her being awesome. And then and and the thing is that like the two female characters in this movie are for some reason like from time to time dumb yeah. like they they don't understand things that they obviously should she's a paleo bi biologist and uh chaotician is very minimally explaining the butterfly effect and she's like oh it's going over my head yeah i'm just a girl <laughs> girls ain't a supposed to get math like and then also the the little girl like she says she's a vegetarian and then later some the little boy has to explain to her what a herbivore is yo like and also motherfucking later uh lex the fucking pro vegetarian hacker girl yeah she's eating fucking jello dude yeah she's eat she's eating fucking ground up horse hooves dude she didn't say she was vegan man i don't uh, know such a fine line all the time with these goddamn lines <laughs> um so like i i the other person that could have the story arcer is uh richard attenborough hammond r.i.p yeah um who is is great in this again everybody's great in this laura dern is awesome and her character is not good like it sucks that she's so good and she could have been playing this badass from scene to scene but they throw in the well he's he doesn't want to have kids and i want to trick him into it that, angle, that's true that, is, that is kind of her main her main kind of arc isn't it yeah um but hammond his arc sh is i guess clearer uh -huh. he starts out very uh hubristic he believes that he can make this work and he keeps with it for a very long time and i'm not even really sure at the end that he's convinced which is the only reason why i say that there doesn't seem to be a character in here that that has a full arc because mm -hmm. like in the end he seems to be just more like convinced to put it off until he saves his grandchildren mm -hmm. yeah yeah i can see that man i can see that yeah i i guess i see what you're talking about so you're saying that there's not really a character in this movie that has a complete 180 turnaround change of heart you know progression as, yeah. a, as a human being by the end of this movie yeah there's yeah so in the end there's the story is man versus nature and what should happen at least in some way is that by being in conflict with this nature and also we have man versus technology as the b story well that's but by kind being of like in, every michael crichton story ever yeah but by being in conflict with this nature like the hero should come into an understanding of themselves as more natural closer to the earth and more of a beast um which maybe can be you know we can throw that onto um grant's story mm -hmm. that he he finds within himself a parental desire which is you know more natural i mean he he finds the eggs that he's dealing with paternity throughout but again in the end it's there's nothing expressly said is there like he never says like let's have kids or like it's just like 
he's got his arms around the kids, which he's done a number of times up to that point. I mean, I kind of got the impression that he grew a little bit more fond of the kids throughout the course of the movie. Um, yeah. I, I'm trying to think exactly what made me think that as far as any terms that he really became endeared to them. But I just think that I kind of got the impression that he sort of warmed up to kids throughout the course of the movie a little bit. But maybe that's just yeah. kind of, you know, viewer bias. I don't know. Yeah, I think but like I think that does happen for sure. I I think though that it it doesn't for me at least it doesn't resolve the issue of whether he wants to have kids with Dr. Sattler. Like right. just because cuz like I like kids. I always have fun with kids. I've used to babysit all the time. I'm a big fan of kids. I don't have kids right now because I don't want to have kids right now. Yeah. Like, maybe he doesn't want to have kids right now. It doesn't mean he doesn't like kids. It doesn't mean he's not good with kids. Sure. So, like, there does need to be something maybe a bit more express at the end. Like, something more overt than something we've already seen him do with the kids. My favorite thing about Laura Dern's character uh, in the movie is her incredible powers of profanity. Yeah. God damn, dude! There's that part where, like, during the T-Rex chase scene in the jeep, she turns around and she goes, "Yeah, shit, 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 <laughs> shit," which is like, I don't even, I couldn't even tell what she was saying until I watched the movie with with captions. Uh huh. And I realized she just screamed shit a million times, and then yeah, dude, that scene where she's uh, she's down there turning the breakers on in that like uh, Raptor like busts in. She she turns uh -huh. to the camera. She goes, "God damn!" It's the, uh -huh. it, it is the best goddamn in film history it's the fucking best there's not a bad performance in this movie no everybody, dude, I think is everybody good. does a good job i really mm -hmm. really do man fucking and laura dern is great yeah. she's so good and that that i think is what upsets me more about her character just like uh, also with sam neill it's like he he oozes that like confidence and stuff but he also seems to like the kids mm -hmm. like I, I think maybe offset like he's probably just good with kids because like he doesn't play well the idol. he doesn't play the like upset that the kids are around sort of thing which is what makes me doubt this you know character arc but he's so good in it that like it makes me feel like, well, there, maybe he wasn't even told he's not supposed to like the kids. <laughs> well, what do you think about a Jeff Goldblum in here? He's insane. He's so fun. I know. What the hell rawr, is he? Rawr, rawr. Like, yeah, what? <laughs> I know. <laughs> he says shit that I feel like at times it's like there, that wasn't in the script. There's no way. He just said that. Like he's he's an insane person. I like too that he uh he's such a hunk throughout this movie. Like even after he yeah. gets attacked by the T-Rex, he's like he's shirt like yeah, shirt unbuttoned, dude. just sweating, just sitting there Glistening. like oozing just oozing charisma. Yeah. He's awesome. There's that one scene where they're they're down in that bunker like trying to make the calls to get in touch with uh Laura Dern to, you know, flip the breakers and stuff and he's kind of like propped mm. up like in that paint me like one of your french girls pose yeah uh-huh so good man and he, he is just a blast in this movie he's completely the the wild card and the humor element oh, amongst yeah. a bunch of you know scientists and so on yeah and he's, he's the he's the chaotician like that it, they didn't 
They didn't try to hide it. No. That he's the chaotic element. He's the he he's the one who cuts through the bullshit of like um, of Hammond's desire to make money and Grant and Sattler's desire to have this like scientific uh, you know opportunity. Like he cuts through the bullshit and talks like about life and what life is and what reality is. Well, let me ask you: Have you ever read the book? I haven't. I read the book years and years and years ago. It's probably been, I don't know, 16 years or something like that since I read the book. But uh, I recall enjoying it. Uh, Again, I was probably very biased considering how much I like the the movie and stuff. But Mm -hmm. there was a lot more information in there about uh, Malcolm's character. There's a lot more stuff in there about Chaos Theory. And there's a a whole lot more stuff about the InGen Corporation, which... If you're watching the movie, you know, only an acute eye yeah. would notice InGen. Like, that. there's a helicopter that picks them up that says InGen on it. They're kind of like, they're to this movie what Umbrella is to Resident Evil, if, you, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things in the movie that are not necessarily... Explain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That are not really explained all that well. Um because you don't even really necessarily get a full picture of why Newman is stealing those embryos and stuff. No, that's, yeah, that, well, I mean, it's for a million dollars, which, I mean, that that is enough of a reason, I guess. Like, you know, nobody's really questioning it, but what's the million dollars for and who's giving it to him? Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not really explained. And I guess there, uh, there must have been, and, and this is not... Um, too far out there. There must have been already the idea that there would be a sequel and they'd get to explain more. I because think, this yeah. this movie, I'm gonna go ahead and maybe blow your mind. Hit me. I think that in the mouth of madness is loosely based on some of the production and things dealing with this movie. What? Because Steven Spielberg, um. He was talking with Michael Crichton about making this into a movie before it was ever a book. And as the movie was in production, the uh, theme park ride was also in production. Okay, so that's something that just came to my attention. The other night, Kate and I were watching this movie and she was Mm -hmm. reading some trivia about it. She's like, whoa, you know, it's kind of like what you're just saying. The movie deal was inked before the book came out yeah that's usually a sign of a fucking you know hot pile of garbage Mm. of a book or a movie but uh well (laughs) that really that really kind of surprised me to find that out so you're saying that you kind of have that whole uh thing like we had mouth of madness where the book and the movie were coming out simultaneously and stuff and there and there was essentially a a theme park with that he goes to that is full of horrific occurrences at a black church the town he goes to yeah. Also at Sam um, Neill. Also at Sam Neill. And <laughs> it, it, the movie seriously was shot two months after Jurassic Park came out. Huh. The, there, there, there are, I think, some obvious similarities going on. And it's, I, I, I hope that you can hang on to your childhood love of this. I think this movie is extremely cynical in that... It's a cash grab that just happens to be beloved. 
Right. Well, you know, you can even kind of see that in the movie where, like, yeah, they go in the, you know, at one point the kids are running and they go through the Jurassic Park gift shop and you see all this yes. actual Jurassic Park merchandise. They that they, they didn't they did knew sell before this movie was even out. They knew that it would be yes. a monumental cash grab. And the reason that they knew that is because the uh, Indiana Jones stunt show and the Jaws ride right. were already at Universal and they were already pulling in millions of dollars from tourists each year. Sure. So they knew this was going to be a winner even if it didn't make enough money in the box office. Huh. And it was Steven Spielberg. So it's going to make money. America's sweetheart, and, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. It's... <clears throat> I don't know. Like, I think uh, some people made the best of a shit situation. Yeah. Where... The script doesn't really... Like, the script, I guess, tries to... Because it's uh, co-written by Michael Crichton and David Kep. And David Kep has worked on a ton of stuff. Some of it really bad. Some of it pretty okay. Uh-huh. Some of it good. Um, anyway, it's obvious that Michael Crichton was like, well, we got to include these scenes from the book. And it's like, well, where's that going? Like, we find out a Triceratops is sick. And... Yeah, you like, never, that's a that's a loophole that's never explained uh, in the movie at all. Yeah, and there's like, uh, there's obvious like service, I guess, to the book. Like the fact that I'm assuming in the book Samuel L. Jackson's character smokes. I don't because remember. Because for some re- for some reason they make him smoke in this movie, and if you pay attention, the man isn't inhaling or exhaling smoke. They just make him constantly have a lit cigarette. And the actor Samuel L. Jackson is like, I don't want to smoke this, so he's not smoking. Now, Steve, it. you got to think back to the time period. He was just pulling the old Bill Clinton. He was smoking, but uh, not inhaling. That's how not people inhaling. smoked back and in the day. Just before each scene, he would he'd stick his cigarette into Monica Lewinsky's pussy. Yeah, exactly. That's what everybody yeah. did back in the day. It's just the That's... time. It's just the times. I'm not justifying mm-hmm. it. I'm not saying it's right. And they say to this day that Monica Lewinsky's pussy lowered lung cancer rates so (laughs) way to go monica way to go um so anyway like they there's there's just stuff that goes on like they mentioned the lysine protocol and yeah there's no there's no reason to mention it because it wouldn't help in the situation because the lysine protocol means they have to give lysine to the dinosaurs or they won't get enough lysine and they'll die. That's eventual. It's not immediate. You're trying to find your grandkids and one of them is like, what, what about the lysine protocol? And then they talk about it like, no, that's not the option. It's like, no, it's not an option at all because it would take weeks for them to die of a lysine deficiency and you're trying to find your grandkids right now. Mm-hmm. Like... So there's just stuff that like obviously got thrown in from the book that is doesn't need to be there. It's not useful. It's not helpful. Like the fact that Sam Neill doesn't get technology, it never comes into play. That's true. That's kind of one of those things that sort of put out there for him that never really, he never changes his mind about it, nor does it help him, nor does it hurt him. It's just like, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a useless plot detail, character detail. If instead of having to climb over the um, the fence, if he had helped the kids over the fence and then the fence came on and there was a nearby computer terminal that he had to like input something into to turn the fence off briefly so he could get through mm-hmm. and, and the little girl had to talk him through it, all of that would have suddenly made sense. 
all of it would have like been worthwhile but that doesn't happen he d he just never has to do like he's like i don't like computers uh, the end <laughs> that's a fair enough point man if he would have had to help lex do some hacking yeah god they love using that word hacker in this i love it man i love i i love that the view of hacking is like you, yeah. you actually physically are like flying through this 3D model of a computer oh, and going into things. And it's going so slow. Yeah. Like it would be so much easier to just either use CDOS or the Apple OS, like click on it. Just click on it. I love, dude, like, it, there's so much technology stuff in this movie that's so fantastically dated like whenever they get under those great jurassic park ford explorers and she's like it has an interactive cd-rom and a touch screen <laughs> and it's such a big deal that sounds like it's a ford explorer ad today oh yeah dude also yeah. ps man <laughs> like total 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 dream that i will make into reality I completely yeah. fucking want a guitar decked out in the paint scheme of those jurassic park explorers like the green fading to yellow with the red stripes on the top. Yeah. I, I want a guitar like airbrushed in that paint job. Will you tune it to Raptor levels? Oh shit. Yeah, I will. Oh man. That's going to be a screaming fucking guitar. <laughs> It'll be screaming, man. I want that <laughs> so bad, but the, the technology in this movie is, is just, I thought you were about dated. to say, but the technology hasn't caught up for us to have Jurassic Park <laughs> yeah. guitars. It's not quite it's impossible. yet. <laughs> yeah but okay so yeah the technology thing doesn't come in but um again like these are all simple fixes i guess they probably just had a rush schedule they probably had to push a lot of the um filming really quickly because they're filming on location for a lot of them yeah. the outdoor stuff and then later you're filming in you know north hollywood or wherever if you want to go back and take something out you I mean, you kind of already spent a ton of money putting an animatronic dinosaur into a field. <laughs> Maybe you just don't even worry about how that Triceratops got sick. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like, eh, whatever, move on. Yeah. And uh, again, it's the movie made has made up to this point over a billion dollars. Holy shit. So it obviously captured people's imagination. And um, I can't, I'm not here to talk anybody out of liking it. I like it. It's got uh, John Williams' score. That's awesome. Oh, Steven dude. Spielberg direction. That's great. That's one thing I was wanting to talk about is the soundtrack to this is absolute pure fucking magic. It is my favorite. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yes. People will always associate that just opening score with dinosaurs. Like, you're always gonna think about dinosaurs when you hear it. Just like when you hear the harry potter theme like it Shit, takes yeah. you to hogwarts like yep. this takes you to jurassic park which would be a real cool thing if it could exist um yeah absolutely so it would be the absolute coolest and you know one thing i'll say about this movie because you know as i mentioned earlier this this show that you're listening to is primarily a first and foremost a horror movie podcast i will go out on a limb here and say that this movie is scarier than most scary movies. Um, it has a natural awesome tension. Yeah. Which is there are fucking dinosaurs on an island. <laughs> it's awesome. There are huge and they're scary. Yes. animals 
that don't know you, don't know how to react to you, and they're fucking animals, so they will yeah. annihilate you, and they're unpredictable. There is a really great sense of fear and terror and tension throughout this movie that, like I said, I think is better than, goddamn, like 90% of all horror movies that I watch. Um, I don't know. Do you agree with that? Do you think this is a scary movie? I think that this is a few well-placed scenes away from being just a horror movie. Yeah. And I think um, when I see those scenes, and I'll, I'll say they're basically the uh, tree car scene. Oh, yeah. And the um, the scene where they're in the field and that huge herd of dinosaurs comes running at them. Mm -hmm. Like, what those scenes do is inject some... A peril that isn't related to the dinosaurs mm -hmm. which seems like oh well it's still peril people are still tense and they are but it's for kids it's gonna ease up that tension of oh dinosaurs are monsters that might eat me like it gives them a moment to rest and then the next time the dinosaurs are back on it's just like oh cool dinosaurs again like it's well it's really smart because obviously this if you made this uh, just an adult movie, it probably wouldn't have made a, over a billion dollars. Like, if you make it so that kids can feel tense and not feel like in the end Tyrannosaurus Rex is going to like be outside their window at night, they, you got a perfect balance. And I think they did that. They did a really good job of balancing so that you don't just end up with a pure horror movie. But it easily could have become that. Oh, this movie scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, dude. Like, especially the scenes where... Like when uh, when Newman is there roaming around and he gets, you know, lost in Jurassic Park and he's rolling around in all that mud that looks like it was imported Wendy's Frosties all scattered around the park. <laughs> that Jurassic Park mud is just something else. Yeah. Uh, but that scene where he's he's with the Dilophosaurus, which is a very not real dinosaur, by the way. Yes, I know. No such dinosaur that ever spit venom or had a frilly neck. Yeah. No, uh-uh. But man... When that thing is like in his in his Jeep and stuff and the camera pans over to it and its frill is all out and stuff, man, that scared the dog shit out of me when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really effective like it, it cuz it it looks alien. Yeah. Like even even if you know dinosaurs, you look at that and you're like, "What the fuck is that?" Well, like, and it's real. Like when they show that part, all those parts with the Dilophosaurus, now that I'm thinking about it, might all be real. I don't know that there's ever a CG Dilophosaurus in this movie. I don't know. It looks um, so good, man. And plus, it just kills the fuck out of poor old Newman. Yeah. Um, I When I first saw the sign for Dilophosaurus, thought it said Dilphosaurus. And I was like, <laughs> I two things crossed my mind. One was, a dad I'd like to fuck a Saurus. So it's like, it's basically Chris Pratt, but a dinosaur. Yeah, like, Dilph. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Or other side, a dinosaur I'd like to fuck a Saurus. So it's just a regular dinosaur, but it's like super buff. So this is going back to the audition kid again. Yeah, again. I'll listen. All right. I'm going to admit it. Okay. I'm a dinosexual. You know, speaking of I things. I jerked off to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Steve, speaking of sexual themes in this movie. Uh-huh. I'm just going to put something out here about what I think this movie might really be, at least what the filmmakers were trying to get across. Okay. And it just hit me while I was watching this movie, um, at least halfway under the table drunk the other night. <laughs> okay. 
I think what they're trying to tell us in this movie is to fear the impending wave of the lesbian global domination. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I see what you're going for. Let's hear it. Okay. So, of course, there's this theme throughout the movie. All the dinosaurs in the park are girls. Yes. But, as Jeff Goldblum reminds us, nature finds a way, right? Mm-hmm. Now, nature does indeed find a way. These dinosaurs, because they have frog DNA in them, can switch genders and find ways to procreate without needing no mans on the premises, right? Right. Now, this whole lesbian power imagery is predated way earlier in the movie. Now, let me ask you if you noticed this, Steve. Okay. When, <laughs> whenever the team is flying into Jurassic Park on the helicopter, right? Uh-huh. Sam Neill's character is trying to work his seatbelt, right? And he can't get it to work. Yeah. He has uh-huh. two he has two female in oh, seatbelts no. that he just kind of bashes and he's together. He's rubbing them together. Uh-huh. And they won't click. There's no insertion. He's like, "Uh-oh. Female to female ends. This won't work." <laughs> what does he do? He finds a way, Steve. He ties right. the motherfuckers life, together. Life finds a way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, though no, I listen. Great. I <laughs> Are you that feeling is it? Awesome. Yes. I remember reading um a feminist short story. I cannot remember the the name of it. It was from the 80s, I believe, where it was a, a planet of women and of course, uh I, anybody who knows anything about genetics, if if you could make two women uh create a child, it would always be female. Yeah. So it would be it would be an island ruled by women, uh-huh. except the one problem is that they say that they amphibian DNA makes them actually switch to the other sex. Right. So somehow they begin creating sperm. Well, let me ask you this, Steve. Okay. Are there any are there any females in this movie that get killed by the female dinosaurs? No, and you know what is real interesting? That one point. Where um, the Tyrannosaurus looks over at Laura Dern and, and gives her the, the guns, the finger guns. Uh-huh, yep. And she's uh, and then you look back over and the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex is wearing a shirt that says, uh, Ladies Gotta Have It. Uh-huh, exactly. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Ladies Gotta Have It, though. So what I'm saying is this movie is all about an island of man-hating lesbian God dinosaurs. Damn les- what? <laughs> oh, man. These... Oh, these goddamn lesbian dinosaurs. I'm tired of these motherfucking lesbian dinosaurs on my motherfucking remote island. <laughs> Hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. Exactly. That, right. line, that line in particular upsets me because I know that line is just to get laughs out of five-year-olds. Oh, yeah. An adult said butts. And they say it twice. Yeah. That's not a, an adult man's not going to say that. Anyway. <laughs> So yeah, lesbian dinosaurs. That's what this movie's about. That's awesome. Now, I I just read this today, and I I don't know how old this is, but an, a fan theory about Jurassic Park okay. that I think is maybe going to blow your hair back. Hit me. There are no dinosaurs. Bullshit. What? There are no dinosaurs. These are genetic approximations of what dinosaurs would be. 
Okay. The creatures are there, but they're not they're not dinosaurs. Um which is the fan theory is then used to explain why uh you know the velociraptor doesn't have feathers and why it's too big. It also breathes warm air like its nose on yeah. the glass door of the kitchen it breathes hot air. Yeah. Why the Tyrannosaurus Rex can run 60 miles per hour without its leg shattering, which it would because they had hollow bones. Yeah, they were probably like, scavengers, yeah. Why the Dilophosaurus exists at all. Okay. Like, the explanation is that th these are genetic experiments gone awry, basically. Like, they were trying to recreate dinosaurs, but they had to keep incorporating all these different things to make them look like people would expect them to look so that it will be a good uh theme park uh-huh and one of the main evidences of this is that hammond talks about basically hammond is a flim flam artist he talks about how his first operation was a flea circus where he you know tricked people into believing he had trained a bunch of fleas mm -hmm. to do acrobatics and things um and and basically the idea is that that uh people are looking at these things thinking he has brought dinosaurs back but in fact these are just genetic abominations that he's created he's essentially uh, a frankenstein more of a dr moreau than anything yeah yeah he's he's yes and that that is pretty perfect because you know they the are chimeras island, of sorts yeah so like this what um interests me in that is that this would then be like um after a number of other experiments i would like i don't really want to see this i don't want a prequel to any film franchise ever again just ever but i'd like to see a prequel where they're basically like dinosaurs in a lab and one of them's like kill me <laughs> i don't want to live yeah um so yeah, I read that and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know how it changes the movie at all, but it's an interesting theory. Well, that's a funny thing too, though. You know, when you watch this movie, and especially at the very first um, kind of main scene there at the excavation site where they're talking about how they theorized that dinosaurs evolved into birds, which at that time was such a new theory yeah. that, you know, there's people, well, like the fucking dream child is like, yeah, right, and stuff like this. And it's like, now you watch this and you're like, well, duh. Of course, they fucking evolved into birds. Like, look at them. But yeah, one thing that I think is really cool that I actually just noticed for the first time watching this, um, you know, the movie starts to talking about how they evolved into birds. Uh huh. And then you spend this whole movie with these big, huge, terrifying dinosaurs and stuff like this. And then the very last thing in the movie is them flying off of the island in the helicopter. The kids are asleep and stuff. And Grant looks out the window. And there's that flock of birds. Um, they're like, uh, I don't know, storks or something, seagulls, herrings. I can't remember uh. what they are, herons, whatever they're called. Uh, there's like a flock of them like flying. And the camera zooms in on the birds. And it's like, also, this is what they became later. You know, it's like these things right. that were once so fearsome and terrifying and scary and stuff then just evolve into these peaceful, serene-looking birds flying over the water. I think that's kind of a cool contrast to this movie is saying that, um, I don't know, you know, shit that was once big and scary later on becomes something very placid and not very terrifying at all. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting, you know, uh, from a kid's perspective to 
you know, again, because you want the kid audience, it's interesting to have that element just so kids, again, walk away feeling comfortable. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the dinosaurs still are kind of around and I'm not going to get eaten by one. So that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they're, they're still here, but they're not going to kill me. Yeah. I think that uh, it happens a lot in this film that they're just like these fact dumps that are for the people in the audience that really, you know, love dinosaurs because mm -hmm. they'll just say stuff about dinosaurs and it's like, it, it'll be kind of related or maybe fully related, but sometimes just, you know, not exactly important, but it's always cool. It's always like, yeah, dinosaur facts are cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You can yeah. just throw that out anytime and it, all right, I'm interested. Let's hear it. Now, let me put one thing out here about this movie, Steve, because me and my buddy, well, my buddy Mitch, I talked about earlier on the show, uh -huh. uh, he and I are both gigantic fans of this movie and have been for, for years now. We had a conversation a long time ago about something that would make this movie so much better. What it is. Okay. So imagine that everything in this movie is exactly as it is now. Okay. Okay. Nothing has changed. No different actors, no different editing, no different shots. The order of the movie, everything is precisely as it is, like how you know it, right? Uh-huh. Only with one change. So, you know, of course, the, the fantastic uh, kitchen scene where the kids are hiding from the rafters in the kitchen. Uh-huh. And they're hiding in those stainless steel uh, cupboards and stuff and... Uh, Velociraptors around. It's a really wonderful, super, super intense moment in the movie. Um, really, really, really stands out to me as one of the coolest parts in the movie. So imagine if in that scene, right, the kids, they're hiding inside of one of those cabinets, and then that Velociraptor makes a run at them to, to try and take a big hunk out of them, right? Only then uh -huh. it, it hits its head on that stainless steel reflection of the kids hiding in the other cabinet, right? Okay. Now imagine if just right then, at that very time, after it runs headfirst into that uh, into that stainless steel cabinet, if the camera zooms in on the raptor, and the raptor goes, Ow, my dino head! <laughs> <laughs> and then the movie and just goes on absolutely the same <laughs> after that. Nothing else is different. He has a raised bump. Yeah. And there's just like little dinosaur-esque birds flying around his head. Yeah. Ow, my dino head. Ow, my dino head. And then the movie just <laughs> continues. Yeah. Exactly. No mention. And just as they're flying away, the kid goes, we heard a velociraptor talk. <laughs> what? And then the credits. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> but if, you know, it's just never acknowledged. It's never made a big deal out of. And it has kind of a funny voice, you know? <laughs> Ow, my dino head. <laughs> yeah i wholeheartedly support this idea it would make the movie 10 times better maybe i mean it would have made 10 billion dollars in the theater if it had just included the single line ow my dino head like dude imagine just how like crestfallen you would be in 1993 if you're watching this movie and you're in the palm of his hands and you're just like enraptured like oh my god the technology i can't believe what they're doing i can't believe what i'm seeing and did that thing just fucking talk <laughs> <laughs> what the hell yeah. 
<laughs> it said, ow, my dino head. It didn't even say a cool line. People would be wearing ow, my dino head shirts around. <laughs> That'd be awesome. You know, one day we're going to get some dead and lovely merchandise and we're going to have a uh-huh. fucking Al my, Al, Al my Dino Head t-shirt. Uh-huh. We'll have Al My Dino Head and we'll have uh, the uh, Cinnabites Cinnabon uh, crossover. Absolutely. Oh my God, uh-huh. dude. Yeah, we have a lot of potential right here. Yeah. I just, um, a little bit ago, it just hit me that the scene with the dream child, he gets threatened with claws. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's a... Good nod oh, shit. to yeah, you're right. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, damn, that is cool, and that that's cool too yeah. because I remember um, Wes Craven saying one of the original inspirations for Freddy Krueger is that he would have claws like an animal because that's a primordial fear in humans and stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought that was uh, I that just crossed my mind. I'll tell you Pretty another cool. thing that's cool about that scene too. That uh, again just hit me watching it this time, which I've seen this movie. I mean, seriously, at least 50 or 60 times, I'm sure. But, I don't know, watching these movies for the show, it's so fun because you do just analyze them differently and pay closer attention than you would any other time, you know? Yeah. Um, but during that scene where he's talking to the dream child and stuff, he actually outlines the raptors' uh, hunting strategies exactly as they play out later in the movie. They're like, oh, you know... This one will be in front of you, but there'll actually be two on either side of you uh, because they hunt in packs and stuff like this. Like, he yeah. outlines exactly how... What's the hunter guy's name? He outlines how he dies. Ugh. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember that guy's clever name at all. girl. But yeah, the clever girl guy. <laughs> that's who he is. Exactly. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, huh, they, they really do set up that scene pretty well. Like, it's... That is interesting to me, though, because that scene, while it's, like, cool, it, it doesn't seem like you'd be laying track for it that early. <laughs> like, it's, pretty, it's yeah. just a real, it's a real brief thing. I guess, though, uh, honestly, though, uh, he also lays out just how badass, like, I, I noticed that there are, I think, five instances where they're just laying out how badass raptors are. <laughs> so, like... It, when it comes to the rafters, there's already a lot of tension built up. So, like, yeah, saying all that, it leads to that scene, but it also builds up just, like, how cool and how scary the rafters are. So, yeah, it's... I guess that just keeps going on up until the point where we actually deal with the rafters. Because you see the rafters in their cage, mm-hmm. but we don't get to see them. They they kill a guy named Joffrey, which is awesome. Oh, I mean, shit, yeah. Anything, Anytime a person named Joffrey dies, now it's always going to be a good occasion. Fuck yeah. But, <laughs> like, yeah, we just keep getting these instances of how badass the raptors are before we fully see them. It's yeah, cool. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it kind of predates, like, whenever they're dealing with these things, you know that they're badass because you've heard people talk about them. Yeah. That's good storytelling right there. So, overall, Steve, what are your final thoughts about this movie, and what do you give it on the old 1 to 10 scale? Okay, so, uh, as I said, acting's all great. I have some problems with the story. I think the direction's great. I think the music is great. I think the CG is is still, um, it holds up. The animatronics are awesome. It's hard, though, because I watch it and I'm still irritated by all the little things. Uh, mm-hmm. But it does, it does still 
have a lot of fun in it and I still yeah. enjoy it. So um I think you know as far as Spielberg movies go, this probably isn't up there too high on my list. But as far as dinosaur movies go, it's A1. Like it's number 1 with a bullet. There's nothing that's going to compete with it. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Uh I'd say this is a 7 for me. A 7 out of 10. A seven, and all of its uh, negative points are all those times that the story just irritates me. And I think they could have been fixed, but at the same time, it's like we've we've got we've got a deal going for a ride that's coming out. You got to get the movie out. Like yeah, I I understand I understand the constraints and stuff. That's why I still think this in the end is a good movie and well worth watching, especially for kids i imagine kids still today would enjoy this movie oh yeah absolutely so man it it is one of those ones that again i think because of the limited use of cgi will remain i think pretty timeless for for a long time because so much of it does still look so convincing um i as i said going into this movie i knew that i would love this movie before i even saw it because it had dinosaurs and i love dinosaurs So whenever I saw this in theaters, it absolutely blew my mind. And like I said, we saw it a couple of times, which back then was unheard of for us being so broke and stuff. And then, you know, after it came out for home rental and uh, DVD and stuff like that, I've watched it a million more times. It's one of those ones that I have seen. I don't know. It's probably one of the movies I've seen just about more than, you know, almost anything I've seen in my life. I've seen this movie a million fucking times. Uh, I love it. I think that the effects like i said still hold up extremely well because they were intelligently used not just freewheeling well it would be easy if we just did this all cgi so let's just do it that way it was like no if if we can do it practical we'll do it practical if we absolutely can't we'll use the computers um i think that's just fucking smart and helps make the movie a lot more timeless because even dude like if you go back through and you watch um you know, Jurassic World that came out like two years ago. Yeah. It already looks more dated than this fucking movie does. Yeah, I actually thought when I watched Jurassic World that it already looked dated while I was watching it. I know, it was already, dude. It was already just like, this is disappointing. They spent so much money on this. I think it would look, it would have more of that sense of awe that you had when you see Jurassic Park for the first time. I know, and it's because I think that there are little to no you know, puppets or animatronic models in Jurassic world. Like, I think that there's maybe a part or two, like where there's just sort of like a patch of dinosaur skin, but you know, not with like a head attached to it. It's just for like when a character, like when Chris Pratt is like touching one of the Raptors or whatever, I think that there might maybe be some actual textured, you know, uh, faux dinosaur skin, but there's basically no animatronics in that movie. And it looks fake as fuck it's kind of like when you go back through and you watch you know prometheus or alien covenant versus Mm -hmm. aliens and you're like oh yeah there's not even remotely a comparison which one looks better um the original jurassic park still looks fucking better than any of those movies that are coming out you know 20 almost 30 years later and don't even remotely look as good i think that that should be kind of a gold standard for visual effects is like does your movie look as good as jurassic park no okay well go back to the drawing board and build some puppets or robots or something you know yeah um so let's get some robots get them robots in here get your damn computers out of the game 
<laughs> I can see what you mean about some of the story stuff. Um, but but to me, it's like, you know, it's kind of like any other Michael Crichton thing, like Congo or um, anything else, you know, or Outbreak, you know. Those are, those are ones we should have mentioned earlier in our countdown. But, you know, a huge scientific breakthrough goes bad and it wreaks havoc on people. Like, that's kind of really the main moral of this story is that, you know, playing God and doing stuff with technology just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And it does kind of get sort of muddied up through this whole, here's this couple, the guy doesn't like technology and we don't think he wants to have kids, but then he thinks he's okay with kids and stuff. Like, okay, I can see what you mean now. That does kind of muddy it up a little bit. But to me, the main message of the movie is, yeah, fucking with nature just because you can will not give you power over it, you know? Yeah. So I uh, I think that's kind of the main theme of the movie, and I, I do love it. There's so many iconic scenes, man. The T-Rex chase scene and the, the T-Rex, you know, roughing up the car that the kids are in and stuff and yeah. pushing down that uh-huh. plexiglass. God damn, dude, it is so, so sick, man. That I still think that is one of the coolest scenes I think in any movie ever, the sense of just like terror where that, that T-Rex is pushing down on that, you know, plexiglass on top of the kids and stuff. The kids yeah, are screaming. It's and really all that. frightening. Yeah. Oh man. It's so cool. Plus extra cool points. Mastodon, one of my favorite bands, um, on their first full length record remission, uh-huh. the very first track Crusher Destroyer starts off with a sample of that scene. You hear the T-Rex roar and really faintly, you can hear Lex go, Timmy, at the awesome. at the very first that track, yeah. So that's one of the things that made me fall in love with Mastodon too. Is like that's the very first you know song on the record, <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, they used a Jurassic Park sample. That's sick. So yeah, good on Mastodon for for taking advantage of this movie. So um, I love it. I've seen it a million times. I think it flows great. There's some well interspersed humor and some really well placed tension and really scary moments and stuff. Um, I love all the all the lesbian empowerment through the movie. Yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I can't say it any other way. I fucking love this movie. I've seen it a million times. I'll watch it a million times more. And I think that I will always have a good time and be wrapped up in the score and some of those set pieces and the animatronics and CGI and stuff. For me, this movie's a motherfucking 10 out of 10. Woo! Woo! Perfect 10, man. I, I can't <laughs> help it. I just can't hip it. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad. I, you know, uh, I'm really going to be thinking now because uh, it, it keeps crossing my mind how much this movie is like in the mouth of madness. Yeah, that's that, so like, cool that you point that out now. Yeah, I really want to, I want to look that up uh, and see if John Carpenter's ever talked about that. Yeah, really? So what are we covering next week, Ben? Well, next week we're going to be covering a movie that is likely not going to be a 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be covering a movie from the the great uh you know death valley of horror movies from the late 90s to early 2000s that we went through there uh where there were basically no well i won't say no because you know, there were some good horror there were some yeah. good horror movies but by and large a whole lot of shitty horror movies came out during this time period including one jeepers creepers Where'd you get those people? Now, I've watched this movie one time 
probably yeah. about like 16 years ago i think <laughs> yeah that yeah i saw it probably when it came out yeah and yeah i watched it with I a don't bunch of remember friends it. in high school yeah, I don't remember it well at all. I don't either. But I remember not liking it even then, so... See, I, I remember not liking it then either, but at the same time, like... Dude, that had to be one of the first horror movies I ever watched. Wow. I really think that it was. I really think this was one of the first ones that I ever watched. Because I remember prior to this, like, being over at, you know, a friend's house, and they had on, you know, a couple of scary movies that we were just kind of watching in between you know farting around and talking and stuff but i think this is one of the first ones that i really sat down and like watched so uh maybe my judgment from back then is flawed and maybe i'll go back through and watch this and be like actually this was really fun i hope you start having like uh you start remembering things that you had forgotten for 16 years like Things just start falling back into place and you realize that Jeepers Creepers stole your soul. <laughs> oh, shit. From, there, from then on, it was just all downhill. Black Soul Ben. Maybe I go through the movie and like Jeepers Creepers is like, there's a scene down in his workshop where he's like swirling a guitar. <laughs> or like drinking <laughs> bourbon. Yeah. He's just talking a lot about Steve Vai. Listening to Frank Zappa. Yeah, awesome shit. He's eating curries and stuff all the time. Yeah. He's got, he's got a cute little dog. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, wait a sec. This isn't a horror movie at all. It's the story of my life. It's the story of two teenagers being an asshole to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy was cool, man. Well, we're going to find out next week. I, I hope that I enjoy it, but uh, my expectations are low. Yeah, me too. Well, in the meantime, Steve, where can they find us on them social medias and where can they drop us an email to suggest other movies and stuff that we ought to cover? Well, you can always find us at Dead Lovely Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we have a Facebook group, Dead and Lovely Horror Podcast. And you can email us, deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. There's been some great activity on that Facebook group that we have here lately. There's oh, been yeah. a lot of people posting pictures and stories and comments and stuff like that. I've really, really, really been enjoying checking up on those. So you guys, please continue to do so. Y'all tickle my funny bone. <laughs> you guys can find me on them social medias on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Ben Eller Guitars. Oh, and you can find me at Steven Spratling, Steven with a V, just like Steven Spielberg. Mm. Um, and I think we should just go ahead and close out with this little piece of information. Michael Crichton was a climate change denier. No. Goodbye. What? <laughs>